Well, this morning you can turn to Philippians chapter 4. We'll continue in Philippians chapter 4. I'm amazed at God's timing. It's really perfect, and I can't take credit for it. If you were here last week, I marveled at the fact that God led us to a passage on conflict resolution the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Because God knew we needed that as we're around the dinner table with extended family and we get into arguments and God knew we needed to deal with that. This week is no exception. God knew that this time of year, what do we need? We need a passage on stress. How do you deal with stress? That timing could not be more perfect because this whole town needs to deal with stress after last night. I think... If you work for the city, you should really consider putting blood pressure medication in the town water supply for a few days because everybody was so amped up last night. Incredible stress. But this actually, this whole time of the year is full of stress. When you think about the holidays, they tend to trigger feelings of anxiety in most people. This has actually been proven to be like the most stressful time of the year. Why? Well, if you're a student, you have finals. I'm sorry, but, but you do, and now Thanksgiving's over. You can't procrastinate. You can do that all you want. It's not me. <laughs> I didn't choose it. You did. You signed up, so you got to pay the price. So it's time for finals that causes stress. If you're a parent, you feel stressed because of how much you have to do. Like you still have your regular life, but now you have to get presents and wrap them and send out Christmas cards and decorate the house and the yard and you have to plan events and you have to dress up your kids. You have an incredible amount to do. And so it is very common for people to feel a great deal of anxiety from Thanksgiving to Christmas. And that's kind of on top of just the general level of stress we feel at home and at work over our finances and our our health and our kids and our country and our future. And we as a people are incredibly stressed out. According to the American Institute of Stress, 75 to 90% of all visits to primary care physicians are for stress-related problems. Stress, if you think about it, it is the most common reason people are having to go to a doctor or an emergency room. It can cause all kinds of other health issues. Stress is something that we all feel. It's inescapable in this life. The result is you can't eliminate stress. I mean, you get to eliminate it when you die, but until then, you're, you're gonna have it in your life. The question we wanna think about is how can we reduce the frequency of it and resolve it when it does set in? We can't completely eliminate it, this side of heaven, but we can reduce it and resolve it. Those are the same two key words last week as we looked at the issue of conflict. We can reduce and resolve stress in our lives. And Paul is going to walk us through how we do that. He's going to give us this morning a pathway to peace in Philippians chapter 4, relatively short passage that will give us four principles for how to reduce and resolve stress and anxiety in our lives. Now, I do need to pause for a second, and I need to clarify something incredibly important. This morning, in this passage, we're talking about the everyday stress or anxiety that all of us feel. Just everyday, regular stress. We are not talking about anxiety disorders or panic attacks. 
Those are a different thing. Those have a medical or biological component. Dealing with an anxiety or disorder or a panic attack requires you to have both the, the scriptural principles we'll look at this morning and the expert counsel of doctors and counselors. You, you have to treat yourself holistically, the whole person, when you're talking about an anxiety disorder or a panic attack. That's not what we're talking about this morning. Now, if you weren't here last year, I did a whole sermon on how to deal with anxiety disorders and panic attacks. It's on the internet, on our website. You can go there and get all of that information. It teaches you how to deal both with the spiritual side and the biological side of anxiety disorders and panic attacks. Okay, so all that's online. We're not talking about that today. We're talking about everyday run-of-the-mill anxiety or stress today that all people deal with. How do you reduce and resolve the regular anxiety that's just part of this life? Paul gives us a pathway to peace that includes four steps. So we're going to jump right into this. If you'll look at Philippians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 5. Here is Paul's pathway to peace. He says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul lays out a pathway of peace and it it begins right there at at the very beginning in in verse 5 with a very simple phrase. He says, let your gentle spirit be made known to all. That's the first step. Now, here's the problem. You hear that word gentle, and it can throw us off. I I remember being a young man and reading the Bible, particularly the New Testament, and seeing how often I was commanded to have a gentle spirit. And that word in English, it's kind of problematic because it sounds weak. It sounds timid. And I didn't know what that looked like as a man. And And yet then I studied it in Greek and I realized that actually in Greek it means something different. In Greek it's a word that flows out of strength. It's a word about someone who is is so confident in God and in who they are in God's sight that they are willing to lay down their rights. That's what the word means in Greek. You are strong enough to not insist on your rights. I think a better translation than gentle would actually be gracious. Gracious is a word that flows out of strength. You, you have such strength in God's spirit that you are willing to surrender, to sacrifice your rights, your desires for the good of others. And so Paul's saying the first step on this pathway to peace is to show others grace. And the reason that Paul brings that up first is because stress in our lives is so often caused by friction in our relationships. Anxiety is often caused by, by relationships. So, so someone hurts us and then we feel compelled to hurt them back. But then they feel compelled to hurt us back and we feel compelled to hurt them back. And that's a cycle. It's escalation. Escalation drives stress through the roof as, as one person keeps hurting the other person back and forth. But you can short circuit that cycle of escalation if you will simply choose not to participate. 
Now, you can't control what the other person does. You can't keep them from hurting you or frustrating you, but you can choose to show them grace. That means that you, you don't give them what they deserve. You, you, you don't get even. You, you don't get justice. Instead, you give them kindness that they do not deserve. That will de-escalate the tension and it will bring the stress level down. And so, so show people grace in the midst of, of relationships. That's the first step in the pathway to peace. It's, it's spoken of this way in the book of Proverbs. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A harsh word, that's, that's what the other person deserves. Right? They've hurt you. They deserve a harsh word. But if you give them what they deserve, if you respond in kind, you are going to escalate, stir up that anger. It's like you're throwing fuel on a fire. If you'll instead respond in kindness, in grace, in gentleness, then it's like you're pouring water on the fire. You're putting it out. You're turning away wrath. You're de-escalating. If you want to have peace in your life, first step, be a gracious person. That is hard, however. It's hard because that's not in our nature. From our, our earliest days, what our nature wants is justice. And when I say justice, what, what we really mean is we want justice for us. Not, we don't really care about other people getting justice. We, we want it for us. We want to get even. We want to demand our rights. We want to hit back when we're hit. We're born with that desire, and it's hard to give up that desire. So how do you resist the urge to get even? How, how do you motivate yourself to get to a place where you can show grace? Well, that's the last part of verse 5. Notice Paul says, the Lord is near. In my Bible, it looks completely disconnected. It's its own sentence, kind of just out there hanging in the wind. What's going on with that? Well, it's, it's directly related. The way that you find the strength to show grace is you remember the Lord is near. And what does that mean? Well, it could be near in terms of space or time. We're not sure what Paul meant by by space, like Jesus is right next to you, he's here with you, that is true. Or by time, he's coming back at any moment, that also is true. The point is the same regardless. The point is that Jesus sees everything. And he will take care of you. He's got your back. He's going to make everything right. And in the meantime, he will give you the strength and the comfort to walk with him. So you don't have to insist on your rights. You don't have to get even. You don't have to hit back because Jesus is right here and he sees it all. He knows what's been done to you. He knows what that person said to you. And he doesn't forget. He's God. He's going to make it right. And so you don't have to take vengeance into your own hands. You don't have to insist on justice. You can show grace by remembering Jesus is right here and he's going to make things right. So if you want peace in your life, step number one, you've got to become a gracious person. Step number two to this pathway of peace, pray with gratitude. Look at the next couple verses, verses six and seven again with me. Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, verse seven is a pretty outrageous promise. And look at that. You do verse six and you get God's own peace 
in your life, invading your life. It will guard your heart. That word is awesome in Greek. It's a military term. It means that God's peace will fortify you, like soldiers fortifying a position, building high walls to protect from attack. That's what God's own peace will come do in your heart, build walls that fortify you from the attack of stress and anxiety. God will fill you with a peace that surpasses all understanding. In other words, it's better than any kind of peace this world could offer you. It is unconquerable peace. It is the peace that Peter had, that Paul had, even as they faced death. It's peace that can give you strength in the midst of any persecution, any crisis. That peace is yours. All you have to do is verse 6. Because there's a logic here. If you want verse 7, you got to do verse 6. So what do we have to do in verse 6? Well, Paul tells us, be anxious or worried about nothing. Now, let's, let's talk about that phrase for a moment. For, first of all, remember, this is not about anxiety disorders or panic attacks. That's not what we're talking about here. This is just everyday anxiety. Paul is not wanting you to feel guilty when you feel stressed. Some people read this passage, and then they feel stressed, and then they feel stressed about feeling stressed because it said don't feel stressed, and they don't know what to do with that. No, no, that's not what's going on here. This is a two-part command. You really can't control the first part of it except by doing the second part of it. If you want to not feel stressed, what do you need to do? Pray about all things. Okay, do you see how that connects together? The way to be anxious about nothing is to pray about everything. You lift all of your requests to God. You constantly pray to him. Every time you feel anxious, every time you feel stressed, you lay that before him. You tell him about what's stressing you. You ask for his help. But here's the key. And it's really easy to miss because the key here is just two words. It's a little prepositional phrase for you English majors. It's the most important thing in the whole verse. What is your prayer supposed to be filled with? With thanksgiving. The prayer that unleashes peace in your life is prayer of gratitude. Gratitude is simply saying thank you to God. Thank you for all you've done. God wants you to rehearse to him all the good things he's done in your life. Because when you rehearse all the good God has done and say thank you for that good in your life and in the lives of those you love, guess what? God designed your brain and your heart to respond to that discipline. When you rehearse all the good God has done, it calms your mind. It fills you with peace. That's the beautiful thing. That's how God designed it. When you look at this passage and many other passages that talk about this subject, it's very clear in scripture. The practice of gratitude is your most powerful weapon against stress. Let me say that again. The practice of gratitude, giving thanks to God, is your most powerful weapon against anxiety. God designed your body to operate that way. When you pause in the midst of a stressful situation and you remember, you rehearse good things God has done for you and for people you care about in the past, that practice itself triggers peace and calm in your mind and in your body. And so when you feel stress with your kids, which if you're a parent, that's going to happen. You're going to feel stressed out about your kids or about their future, something to do with your kids. What Paul's saying is if you will just pause in the midst of that stress, just pause for a moment and make yourself list six things you are grateful 
about your kids, about the family God has given you. That practice will calm you down. It will help you catch your breath and it will remind you that God loves your family more than you do. That will give you peace in the midst of stress. Or when you feel stress about your finals that you're getting ready to take or about something going on at your job, if you will just pause in the midst of that stress and just list out five things you're thankful for that God has done for you in the past. Remember five ways that God has been faithful to you and to your family in the past. That practice itself will calm your heart rate and fill your mind with peace because that's how God designed you. The discipline of gratitude is the most powerful weapon you have against stress and anxiety. So when you feel stressed, you you can't control the fact that you just felt stressed. You don't get to control your feelings, but you can control how you respond. Respond to that feeling of stress by praying to God, lifting it up to God, laying it at his feet, and giving thanks for all the ways he's taken care of you and your family in the past. And that will unleash peace and calm into your soul. So that's the second step on this pathway towards peace as we pray with gratitude at all times. Third step on this pathway to peace is to dwell on good things. When Paul says dwell, he means to ponder, to think about. Look at verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good repute, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, Dwell on these things and dwell there. It's in present tense, meaning always, not like just on Sunday morning, but like all the time. Choose to dwell on things that are like this. And, and so let's think about this for a moment. You know your brain well enough. To know. You, you can't really control what thoughts flitter through your brain, right? There's, all, there's always thoughts going through your brain. Any given day, I have uncountable thoughts go through my brain. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad, and some of them are just plain nuts. And I I can't change that. Thoughts are just coming at me all the time. I can't control what thoughts fly through my mind. I can, however, control whether I latch on to them. And that's the idea of the word dwell. You choose to take that thought and meditate on it, ponder on it, just turn it over and over in your mind and focus on it. Paul's saying you, you can't control what thoughts fly through your mind, but you can control which ones you latch on to, which ones you choose to meditate on versus throw away and replace. And so what sh- thoughts should you dwell on? Should you focus on? Well, it's thoughts that pass the test of verse 8, and there's a lot of descriptions there, but we can kind of divide it into three basic ideas. So the thoughts that you should grab hold of and dwell on, first of all, they're thoughts that are true. They've got to be true thoughts. Now, in John chapter 8, Jesus warns us. He says that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. Satan's primary attack strategy against you personally is to sow lies into your mind, to try to get you to believe things that are not true about God and about yourself and about Life. He is always doing that, always trying to get you to believe lies. And yet Satan is not the only source of lies in your life. Some lies come from external sources, from the world we live in. We, we live in a culture that is constantly bombarding us with lies about God, about ourselves, about our value, about how we should live. And as if that wasn't enough, you also have lies coming from within. Unfortunately, we're kind of our own worst enemies. We whisper lies to ourselves all the time. Lies about God, lies 
about ourself, our, our body, our, our health, our worth, our future, whatever it might be. There's all these lies going through our minds, and, and those lies, lies are going to inflame anxiety. And so if you want to fight back against those lies, you have to take thoughts captive and evaluate them against the truth. You've got to reject lies. You've got to be able to identify those lies and, and get rid of them. And how do you do that? Well, you compare those, those thoughts that are going through your mind with Scripture. You, you compare them with the truth of God's Word to decide, is this thought true or is it a lie? If it's a lie, get rid of it. If it's true, then I can hold on to it. And so if you're going to compare your thoughts to, to the truths of God's Word, then you, you have to know God's Word, right? You've got you to study Scripture. You have to spend time in this book, reading it and, and meditating upon it and memorizing it and studying it. There's no other way. And I, I said it before, the Bible isn't like some kind of magic wand that you just wave at your anxiety to make it diminish. It doesn't work that way. But this book and the truth that it contains will help you to fight against the lies that drive stress and anxiety in your life. And so you got to know it. And so let me give an example for you. If, if you know this book, how can that help you to fight lies and find peace. Well, let's, let's talk about a lie that pretty much every junior hire struggles with, and most of us as adults continue to struggle with. It's a lie that Sarah talked about in that people group in South Asia. It's the lie that goes through your head that says, I'm worthless. I'm worthless. I'm, I'm not worth buying good food. I'm not worth sitting at the cool kid's table. I'm, I'm worthless. So we know that's a common lie. All humans deal with that. What are you going to do with that lie? Well, what you're going to do is you're going to know Genesis well enough to turn to Genesis 1. And in Genesis chapter 1, you're going to read this. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule. You're going to know that passage and that passage is going to tell you that the, the idea that you're worthless is an absolute lie. You could not have more worth. You, if you're a human being, you are made in God's own image. That's not true of anything else in the universe, only humans. So you are made in the image of God, and the result of that is you were made to rule God's universe. There is no higher value than that. You were created to be a king and queen ruling over everything God has made. And that applies to the awkward junior hire, and that applies to the person who feels like he's at the bottom of the rung of society in South Asia. That applies to all of us. And so as these thoughts go through your mind, you grab them for just long enough to evaluate them against scripture, which you've been reading and studying and memorizing so that you can say, well, this is true or this is a lie. If it's a lie, you reject it. That's how you fight those lies that produce stress in your life. Second test that Paul gives us here. So it has to be true. Second, it has to be honorable, righteous, and pure. In other words, you kind of group all these. It has to be good. There's a whole lot of things that we're bombarded with from our society that do not fit that description. Particularly, I'm thinking of things in, in entertainment these days. There's entertainment on, on the internet and TV and movies and radio and all, all kinds of places that, that doesn't live up to honorable, righteous, and pure. There's so much of entertainment that is violent and vulgar and immoral and, and horribly hateful. And if you fill your mind with that entertainment, the result is going to be you're going to feel shame and fear and stress. There's no way around that. 
you fill your mind with that. So I, I do want to be clear. I'm not trying to tell you that if you're a Christian, you can only listen to Christian music and watch Christian movies. No, no. I'm not trying to draw some legalistic line in the sand. This is between you and God. All I'm saying is you need to be careful. You need to understand that what you let into your eyes and ears shapes your mind and heart. There is no way around that. What you let into your, to your eyes and ears will shape your mind and your heart. And it will either inflame stress and anxiety or quench it. And so be careful about the entertainment that you let in. Don't fill yourself with things that are the opposite of that. Okay, so that's the third thing. Thoughts that we're going to latch on to are, are honorable, righteous, and pure. And then the third test that Paul gives us. These thoughts that we latch on to, that we dwell on, they should be lovely, good, excellent, and praiseworthy. And the key thing to understand when Paul says lovely, good, excellent, and praiseworthy, um, certainly the Bible would count and worship music would count. But these terms are actually way broader than that. What Paul is talking about is anything that is lovely in all of God's creation. God wants you to, to, to notice and see all the beautiful things he has made in this world and dwell on those things. So the things that pass this test, what are we talking about? We're talking about when you sit down and have a warm cup of coffee at a coffee shop with a friend. We're talking about when the Aggies win after seven overtimes and you are exuberant and excited. That's a beautiful thing because guess who gave you that capacity for excitement? That was God. And you're enjoying that with people you care about. When you take a walk in the woods on a cool fall morning, that's lovely. That's what God is talking about. When you eat a perfect steak with your spouse, that is lovely. And something to rejoice in. When you hear Yo-Yo Ma play the cello, that is lovely. It's worth rejoicing in. And so what God wants of us is of all of these thoughts flowing through our mind on any given day, he wants us to latch on, to meditate upon, to dwell upon those that are true and good and lovely. One of my favorite things that I've read in a theology book was apparently Martin Luther's grandmother. So great reformer, like 500 years ago, his grandmother told him, you can't keep the birds from flying above your head. But you can keep them from landing there. You can't control what thoughts go through your mind on a given day, but you can control which ones you latch on to. Make sure there are thoughts that are true, good, and lovely that will drive away stress and anxiety, that will increase peace in your life. Fourth and final step on this pathway to peace is to obey God. That's verse 9, and if you'd like to... To underline a verse in Philippians that encapsulates the whole book. It's verse 9. This is really the crescendo of, of the whole book. Paul says, The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Well, what have they learned and received and heard and seen in Paul? All of Christianity. He, he was the father of this church. Everything that they knew about Jesus and about God, they'd received through him. So Paul's saying... All of Christianity, practice it all, meaning obey everything you know about God in his word. Everything Jesus has commanded, everything you have here. And the result will be the God of peace will be with you. God's own peace will be with you this holiday season if you will obey what God has spoken about in his word. And 
So really the, the point that Paul wants us to understand is that obedience begets peace, whereas disobedience begets stress. Actually, we, we can prove that all the way back to the very beginning. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sinned, the first sin that humans ever created. God showed up to judge them, but before God even got there, instantly, as soon as they sinned, what do they get? They get shame and fear and stress instantly. Why? Because that's how God designed this universe. As surely as what you throw up will come down, so when you sin, you will get stress. There is no other way around that. If you give in to disobedience, it will fill your life with guilt and shame that will lead to stress and anxiety. You cannot escape that. It's as absolute as the law of gravity. And so if you want out of anxiety and stress, you must obey. If you obey God, the result will be he'll fill your life with peace. And and we can prove that in the book of Hebrews. Wonderful verse. I love this verse. Hebrews 12. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Paul's saying when believers are trained up by God's discipline in our lives to obey more and more, the result of that growth in obedience is the peaceful fruit of of righteousness. That little phrase at the end is chock full of theology. It means literally the fruit of righteous behavior is peace. The, the thing that obedience produces in your life, when you choose to obey God, the, the product of that obedience is peace in your soul. And so it's important in the Christian life to understand why do we obey God? We don't obey to get to go to heaven. That's not how this thing works. Heaven is a free gift that Jesus earned for us. Jesus did all the work that's required for heaven. He lived a perfect life and then he died for our sins and then he rose from the dead to offer eternal life to us as a free gift. And all you have to do is say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. I believe you died for me and rose from the dead so I could have heaven as a free gift. The moment that you say, thank you, you are saved. You receive eternal life that instant and you can never lose it. So we do not obey to get saved. However, now that we're saved by grace alone, we really should obey for a whole lot of reasons. That's actually what a whole lot of the New Testament is about, is reasons people who are already saved should obey. It's not to escape hell, but it's for a lot of important reasons. And one of them in this passage is that's the only way to have peace. If you want peace in this life, faith alone is not enough. You must also obey God in every area of life. Because sin always brings stress, but obedience brings peace. So here we are in the holiday season. And we know, statistics are very clear, we are going to feel a lot of stress According to a survey just last year, almost a third of Americans described this time of year right now as frantic. That makes me sad. Like, can you imagine? Like, frantic? Really? That's your your primary word to describe the holiday season. So a third are at, like, frantic level of stress. Almost two-thirds of Americans feel significantly elevated stress during the holiday season, which makes me wonder, like, who are the other third of people? Like, I'm not sure that they're American if they don't feel stress during the holidays. We're all struggling with anxiety during the holiday season. You cannot escape that stress, but now you know how to fight back. Now you know what to do. 
to reduce and resolve anxiety in your life. You just need to walk this pathway. You need to practice these four steps. When you feel stress or anxiety settling into your life, you need to do these four things. Choose to show others grace. Even when they deserve a harsh response, choose in strength to sacrifice your right to get even. That will bring peace. Second, pray at all times about all things, but pray with gratitude. Practice that discipline of rehearsing to God all the things you're thankful for that he's done in your life and the lives of those you love. Third, dwell on good things. Of all those thoughts that are running through your mind as you're in the library, as you're at work, as you're in the sewer, latch on to thoughts, dwell on thoughts, meditate on thoughts that are true and good and lovely. And finally, fourth, obey God in every area of your life. This is a good time of year to take stock. If there's some area of your life where you've been walking in disobedience because you thought it was no big deal, you need to reconsider. That little area of disobedience that you're living with, it is taking away your ability to have God's peace in your life. It's stealing peace from you. So choose to obey. This is God's pathway to peace. Now you know. Now let's pray and ask for his help to walk in it. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you that you are a God of peace. We praise you and thank you that what you want for our lives is peace and joy, not stress and anxiety. We praise you, God, that you make that peace possible, that that you are such a powerful God, a mighty God, that you can bring supernatural peace into our lives. But we know, Lord, that we have a part to play. And and now from your word we've seen, here, here are the steps, here are the things you've challenged us to. We pray, God, give us the strength and the courage to walk in this pathway of peace during this month ahead. As we face unique and challenging stresses and strains over the next four weeks, I pray, help us to practice these steps and through these steps to discover peace and calm in our lives that will help us to be an example to other people. I pray, God, that you would fill our lives with such supernatural peace that people we know who don't yet know you would be attracted to you as a result. They would want to know, how can I have that peace? How can I have that confidence in the midst of all this stress? I I pray that you would open up doors to, to present the gospel this holiday season by the peace that you unleash into our lives. So help us each today, Lord, to walk from here, committing to practice this pathway of peace. We pray that you would fill our lives with your supernatural peace, that we would walk in Jesus this holiday season so that we could be lights for him. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for all your gifts, and especially today, for your gift of peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Walk in peace this week. I'll see you next Sunday.